Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! If you're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. All right, welcome back to another episode of Classic City Pod or Sports Podcast. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard along with Jonathan Williams. I'm stumbling over my words to start the show, so that means it's going to be a good one, right? You got to start off with a little <laughs> something there. Uh, no, last week uh, I started off the episode saying thank you to everybody, and I'm back here again to do the exact same thing. Uh, last week we started the show saying, hey, the last episode before that, that we had gotten over a thousand views for the first time on this show and on YouTube, and so that we were extremely excited about that. And uh, you guys just completely blew that one out of the water with that last episode. Last episode went over 2,500 views and a ton more subscribers are on the network. So hopefully some of those people join the live show tonight or at least watch the episode in review uh, later on this week. But thank you guys so much for that. Um, so make sure that while you're in here right now, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button if you haven't already. Um, like this episode, it kind of helps us with the algorithm on YouTube for this episode while we're live today. Um, but that's how I want to start the show off, just saying thank you. I know Jonathan feels the exact same way. It's crazy how far we've come over the past couple of months and the past couple of weeks with this show. Uh, hopefully, we'll continue to bring that content that you guys enjoy, and we plan to continue to grind it out every week. Today, we have another position group that we want to talk about uh, as well. Last week, we covered quarterbacks. This week, we got the edge rushers in here, but there's also some stuff going on in uh, Tuscaloosa with their coordinator situation and all that stuff right now with Nick Saban. So figured we'd kind of jump in on that conversation a little bit as well. Why not? It's kind of entertaining sometimes to see uh, what's going on around, you know, the Kings of college football for so many years. And now they seem to be struggling with some things overall. Georgia's in a good spot. So we'll go from there. But Jonathan, how are we feeling today? I'll let you get us going. I want to extend my gratitude as well and just give a short welcome to the family, to all of our new subscribers. Welcome. I hope you stay a long time. I hope you enjoy the content and I hope you're here for a long time because we freaking appreciate it and we appreciate all of you guys that have always supported us from day one. And hopefully hopefully we got some new day oneers joining us now that are in here on the mix and they can say that they knew us way back when when we're still doing this hopefully a long time <laughs> from now. But yeah, I'm ready to get right into this content. I wanted to bring in a good opening or, or just a good opener for this show. Um you know, we got we're going to break down the edge rushers here in a little bit, but I always like to open up our offseason shows with a little bit of kind of like what's going around college football right now, just kind of like a national coverage. You know, last week we just did Todd Munkin. We kept with Georgia. We talked about Todd Munkin's situation and him doing a second interview with Baltimore, what that kind of means. And it seems like things are still sticking the same way of 
there's a chance that he does leave, chance that he stays. Really not sure what's going on there, but you'll see things start to unravel a little bit as we can progress to that situation. But now, speaking of coordinators, Alabama has now filled both of their coordinating positions. They, they got Tommy Reese from Notre Dame coming in to be their offensive coordinator. And then just a few short days later, they announced that Kevin Steele is going to come in and be their defensive coordinator. If that sounds like a familiar name, it should. He was at Auburn for about four, four or five years. His their defensive coordinator was the interim coach in 2020. And then he went on down to Miami this most recent year as a defensive coordinator. And now he's back at Alabama. So this guy's been in the SEC before. He's bounced around a little bit. And then – um. Tommy Reese has been at Notre Dame. He got promoted to offensive coordinator, I believe, back in 2019. And so he's been there for the past three years, and now he's over at Alabama doing the same thing. But I thought these two hires were interesting, Stoddard. And I say that just because I I, I, I hate to be super critical of coordinating hires just because, you know, there's always going to be a crowd that loves them. There's always going to be a crowd that hates them. And it really doesn't matter what my opinion is or anybody else's is because, like, it could work out. It very well could work out. And I think that these two hires could work out for Alabama. I don't, I'm not saying that these are bad hires, but I feel like this was a point in time for Alabama that you really had to go and nail both of these coordinating spots, just kind of yeah. with the writing on the wall, how Alabama season has gone, where the defense has been at the past couple of years with Pete Golding. The offense really didn't look all that amazing this past year because maybe they didn't have the offensive weapons that they did a couple of years ago, like a wide receiver, like they're typically used to but they still had a freaking Bryce Young. So there's really no excuse for that either. But I felt like you had to go out there and you had to get two home run hires. And like I've said, I'm not saying that Reese or that Kevin Steele are bad hires, but what I am saying is that doesn't really move the meter much for me when you put those two names out there. And I'll tell you why, you know, I was going back and looking at their history and I was looking at just kind of how they have fared at those positions over the past couple of years, because you know, that's what you do. That's what I do. That's what I do as a stat person. I go and look at the numbers. I want to see how statistically you held up on your end. So here's Kevin Steele's numbers, you know, go all the way back to 2017 Auburn. Just follow along with me. I'll do the best I can to make sure everybody stays on track with me. 2017 Auburn, 14th total defense, 11th scoring defense, fast forward a year to 2018, 37th total defense, 14th scoring. Fast forward another year to 2019, 28th total defense, 17th scoring defense. In 2020, 63rd total defense, 38th scoring defense. 2021 with Miami, his only year with the Hurricanes. 67th scoring defense, 65th total defense. So they gave up 20, an average of 26.8 points down at Miami with an average of 375 yards per game on defense as well. Just a, So when you just run down the numbers, you look at that list started, it's kind of like, Okay, like not in that horrible range. Like he had one really bad year with Miami, but Miami's kind of in a tough spot. To be fair, Miami doesn't really have the the Jimmys and Joes, right? It's not all about the X's and O's. It is the Jimmys and Joes sometimes. And right now, Miami does not have those guys, to be fair. Exactly. Absolutely. Got to be fair in this scenario. Alabama's going to have better athletes than both Auburn and Miami did, especially when Kevin Steele was there. But just kind of like not in the bad range, but not in the great range. Like there's not a single year on that list where you're just like, holy cow, like they really they really stepped up that year or they were really fantastic year. Nothing that really stands out. Now you flip over to Tommy Reese. As I said, he was the he took over as the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame for 2020, held that position until this past season. So three years where to- Tommy Reese has been the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So in his first year in 2020, 30th scoring Offense averaged 33.4 points per game and 26 total offense, averaging 448 total yards of offense per game. 2021, 15th in scoring and 45th in total offense. And his final year at Notre Dame, they ranked 41st in scoring, averaging just 31.8 points per game and 60 in total offense. They averaged 
yards, just under 400 yards per game. Again, nothing that really you sit there and look at and you're like, wow, that, that's impressive. Like Notre Dame has always recruited fairly well. They're, you know, they're a top 10 recruit place that recruits top 10 nationally. They get really good players. Yeah. And it's again, a national brand. Not, it's recognizable yeah. brand in college football. Exactly. So that's just kind of my take on these two hires. It's like, man, it, this seemed like a great opportunity for you guys to really kind of just a quick assert yourself saying like, we're still around. We're still Bama. We're like, don't last year was just a fluke. We're still here to play around. But these two hires really didn't do anything for me, Stoddard. And that just might be me as an outsider. And it's easy to say that. And I'm just kind of looking maybe through a different perspective than everybody else. But that's just kind of my generic take. Like, okay, like, okay job. Like two thumbs up, I guess. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of with you, right? Like we saw reports of of different names that they were going after and everything like that. To bring it back to Georgia a little bit more on it, uh, Glenn Schumann was a name that circulated for about a month as far as being a a candidate or somebody of interest as Alabama's defensive coordinator. We both sat here. I don't even know if we talked about it on our show or not, but we texted about it. We talked about it privately um, going back and forth with, I don't really see Glenn Schumann making that jump defensively to another coordinator position. When he is currently on a national cha- back-to-back national championship team as a defensive coordinator, yeah, he's co-defensive coordinator uh, right now, but he is still a defensive coordinator making a good bit of money. And going to Alabama is not really going to pole vault your career at this point when you're playing for a team that's off back-to-back national championships, some of the best defenses in the nation back-to-back years, and you had a huge role in that. So right now your resume is already building. So the con- like the conversation about him jumping over to Bama, I didn't really see the fit. I didn't see the need is more, I guess, the the thing. I think he's right where he's at right now will give him the opportunity to jump into a potential head coaching job in the next couple of seasons if he just stays at Georgia. And if he goes to Bama, right now Bama does not have the best defense. They have great players, don't get me wrong. They don't have the best defense in the world, so he would have to kind of turn things around for them to try to get back to the same spot that he already has at Georgia. It didn't make sense for me. Obviously, he didn't go. He, I don't even think he ever interviewed. I never saw anything about that myself. So I think it was just kind of speculation in general. I don't know that there was actually really any traction there, more or less. I think it was just kind of a, a conversation. Everybody, it was like a rumor mill kind of thing. Nothing ever came out of it, obviously, as they've moved on to somebody else there. Now, as far as the offensive coordinator, didn't the Washington uh, coordinator turn down the job, or was that a defensive mm-hmm. coordinator? Somebody. It was the it was Washington the offensive, offensive coordinator. coordinator. He turned down the job at Bama. Who does that? Yeah, I thought I that mean, was really interesting. We haven't as well. seen that before. Have we seen mm-hmm. that? Like, I somebody turned it, down a job to go from Washington to Alabama. Yeah. That's different. That's the biggest thing that caught my eye with this whole situation. Yeah, I would agree with you right there. I, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. You, it would seem like everybody in Washington would be itching to get their hands on that program, especially if it's just a lateral move. Like, it seems like that would drastically improve your situation to go call plays for Alabama v. Nick Saban. That automatically gets your name out there in front of everybody. Everybody knows who you are all of a sudden, and it really helps you out. But I I also want to talk about what Harrison is talking about in the comments of like he's he's saying that he's wondering what Reese, what type of offense is Reese going to run at Alabama because you know when you think about Alabama's offense, you do not think explosive like chunk it chunking it and running it like burning like down the field type of offense like what Alabama has been in the past it's a we use our tight ends a lot we're going to use a good dosage of the run game but very I don't want to say bland but it's a very like traditional style offense like nothing that's going to 
make your eyes pop out of your head or anything like that, or just blow you out of your chair. But it's a, it's efficient. It's efficient enough to where it works for them and it produces wins for them and it gets it and it gives produ- productivity on the offensive end for them. Yeah. So I am interested to see if he's going to really change things up, which I would say that he will because, you know, Nick Saban for a long time, like Nick Saban went through the same period transition period that Kirby smart kind of did when it came to offense of like something had to change. The rest of college football right. was adapting to this new style of offense. Yeah. They were getting left behind a little bit and something had to change. So that's when Nick Saban brought in these new guys like Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian to bring this new style of offense. And that's just kind of what they stuck with. Even as Harrison said in the comments, like Bill O'Brien stuck with that kind of Sarkeesian style of offense of just slinging it around the ball field and then, of course, getting creative with your run plays and whatnot. But really, you're just guns blazing is what it seemed like. Right. So I would venture to lean more to that, that they're going to bring Tommy Reese in to do that style of thing because I just don't think that you can – I don't. I hate to say that what they did at Notre Dame can't be, you know, like is can't produce like yeah, national I'd, titles and whatnot. Yeah. But, I mean, I just think that if you're brought to Bama, you're going to do things a certain type of way, and I'd venture to say that. Nick Saban wants him to kind of maybe he changes things up a little bit because you know every offensive coordinator is different. They're going to bring their own styles and whatnot and different oh, types yeah. of play call. Yeah. They'll put but, their spin on everything. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. But I don't know. It, it's interesting. I'm interested to see how it looks year one with both of those guys. Yeah, I, it will be interesting to see, especially like I said with uh, with Steele, Kevin Steele on defense because we have seen a Bama team that has not been that good defensively over the past couple of seasons. They're not really known for that anymore, which back in the day, that's what they were known for early 2010s uh, to mid 2010s that they were a defensive side of like football, just like Kirby has kind of done at Georgia as well, made them a defensive sided football team um, prior to, getting Todd Munkin and really kind of turning up this offense over here. They kind of shifted gears. But guess what? When when they did that, right, when they went out and got the coordinator on offense to put up points offensively, they still had the same defensive identity, and they didn't, they didn't lose a step on that side of the ball. Georgia was able to keep it going and still be number one nationally um, defensively as far as total defense goes in a couple of seasons at this point. So that kind of thing... It, it, that's the big thing for me. It, it's funny to see him shift so far away from one side of the football to go offensively so heavy. And also, like you said, he had to adjust his style over the past couple of years where he had to sling it around and stuff like that. That Honestly, that that is the age of football that we're in at this point. You're going to see a lot more of it. Now, you still need to be able to run the football, but it's not just like uh, what's being talked about in the comments, lining up under center and just handing it off in, in power, you know, run through the A-gap, that kind of thing. It's extensions of the run game sometimes, too. Being able to draw up creative screen game type plays, that's what Georgia's done so well over the past few years as well, getting their running backs, their tight ends, and other wide receivers involved in the screen game where they catch the ball at the line of scrimmage or just behind it, and they bust it for 10, 15 yards. That's the kind of stuff that helps – it, it goes in the you know the stat sheet as a as a reception and passing yards, but that's an extension of the run game, and I think that's why you don't see as many run like heavy teams because they found another way to do the same type of thing, and it kind of spreads the defense out a little bit better. So I would expect them to try to stay in that type of feel in general, but like you said, I mean he definitely did not run that type of style offense and slinging it around and all that kind of stuff up at, at Notre Dame it's it's definitely different there uh but you know you come to the SEC you come play for or coach for Nick Saban uh you've got a lot better players on your team at this point that you can coach and something like like I said a second ago it's not all about the X's and O's sometimes it is the Jimmy's and Joe's that do it for you and he has the Jimmy's and Joe's now we'll see what he can do I mean it's not something that you just throw out the window and say they're not going to be good 
it's Alabama. They, they have a chance to do well. Um, I think the funny part that we talk about in this whole conversation, though, like there's two types of coordinators or, or coaches that come to Alabama as coordinators or have under Nick Saban. It's the type of coordinators like I feel like these two are, where they're coming in to kind of really, really uh, accelerate their career, potentially. They come there to make their name a little bit more of a household name kind of thing and then go off and do their own thing. Um, or you use, or the other side of it is you get like a Bill O'Brien and you have him coming in here to rejuvenate his career and get back on track because they've kind of fallen off. That's what Alabama's been over the past several several seasons. One of those that's what two. Sarkeesian was. You know, he had exactly. that pretty awful stint with Atlanta and then he kind of yeah. comes back to Alabama and really gets things going and ends up now he's the head coach of Texas. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of what you get. This side of it, this time it looks like guys that are trying to actually kind of start their career and really get moving. Um, so, I mean, We'll see what happens. I, I like what I said earlier. We could use Miami as an example for Kevin Steele, and uh, honestly, it's not necessarily a fair one. Like you said, he was there for a year, and they don't have the mm-hmm. the guys. They they really yeah. don't. So I'm not going to take that and hold it against them. They he's put together some decent seasons defensively um, in the past. That's just not quite one of them. Yeah, no doubt. I, regardless, I think it's interesting, but I also don't think it's fair to really assess a court to coordinators until you see at least one year, you know, you kind of get a good feel of what they're doing, what they're trying to do, what they're starting to create or formulate down in Alabama, especially with a roster like Alabama's Let's see what they actually can do with legitimate football players at every single position and how they fare against the sec. Let's see how they do. And let's see how they make things shake over there. So it, it really, a lot of interesting things to watch down um, in Tuscaloosa. If it'll go, I'm trying to put this up this. Oh, hold on. I clicked the wrong one. That's what I meant to click. There we go. This is the one that I saw. Uh, I also saw this on Twitter, and if that's the case, maybe so. Maybe it's just to kind of hold you over for a little bit, and you're trying to get Jeremy Pruitt back. Um, you know, maybe that'll work out. And, but that's the same kind of thing. Going back to what we just said a second ago, that's a guy trying to get his career back on track because he did get a head coaching job, and boy, did he throw himself off the cliff on that one. Um, so he's definitely still trying to get himself back in the light in the right way and positive <laughs> that side train things, didn't so. just like fall off beside the tracks that train is at the bottom of the ocean like nowhere near yeah. the track so there's a lot of redirecting that needs to go on with that train and needs to get back to the train station and get a brand new coat of paint and all the all the fixings is what jeremy pruitt needs and that's a good place to go if you need all that get all your bells and whistles in order but that's enough bama talk i know you guys are not here to listen to us ramble on about if or Alabama is going to be good or not. We, You guys get enough from that about the national media. We're here to talk about – we're going to shift over now to the Georgia side of things, the Georgia side of business. Um, we asked you guys on Twitter, as we did in our video last week, we said that we we're going to start asking you guys kind of what how you guys wanted us to do this. And so we put a poll out on Twitter and asked, what positions do you want us to do next? And it was clear that you guys wanted us to talk about Georgia's Ed Rushers. And we'll do the same thing moving on in the coming weeks. There was a pretty strong vote um, percentage there for the cornerbacks. But if you aren't a Twitter person, if, if that's not if that's not your style, if that's not your game, drop it in the comments. We'll take those into consideration as well. So after this week's episode, let us know who you want us to talk about next. We've done quarterbacks. We did that last week. And now we're going to get into the Ed Rushers. And Stoddard and I were talking about this before the show. Is like It's very inter- – it's, it's kind of – you have to – it's an interesting way that you have to talk about Georgia's edge ed rushers because it's not like Georgia's depth chart is just edge rushers. And this is your list of edge rushers and that you have them all on one pretty little depth chart on the same line yeah. and everything. There's a lot of people that are you could label as edge rushers just because Georgia uses players 
so differently. You know, that mint front defense, that true four, three, like Nolan Smith, you could, I would definitely classify as an edge rusher guy, but he's listed as an outside linebacker. He plays that Sam position for Georgia on the, on the right side of the defensive line. And he gets asked to do all kinds of stuff for Georgia. You know, he, there's times where he dropped back into zone coverage for Georgia and he get, sometimes he got after the quarterback, but then you also have a guy like Michael Williams, who's played a lot for Georgia yeah. this year and is going to play for a while for Georgia. That's a Sunday guy right there. He's really freaking good. And he's basically just, just go get after the quarterback. Like just pin your ears back and do what you do best and formulate a rush against the offense line across from you and beat him and go be great. Go be the athlete that you are. So there's a lot of guys that we're going to have to talk about. Those are just Michael Williams is just one headliner of this group, but that's yeah. how we're going to kind of do it. We're just going to throw a bunch of names at you because we have to, if we're going to do this efficiently and really dive into this position group for you guys and really give you guys a true breakdown of how we think this will be next year and what it will kind of look like. Yeah. And uh, like he's saying, you know, there's so many names out there, but like there's two types of position groups at Georgia. They're, they're both going to be on the end of the line. You got your actual defensive end type position, which is going to be more of a Michael Williams, maybe a Tyrion Ingram uh, Dawkins, we'll call him TID. Um, those are your two like defensive end type players. Everyone else that's going to be an edge rusher is that outside linebacker type position. And quite frankly, Georgia, that's how they play them. If you're an outside linebacker, you're you're more of an edge rusher. You do a lot of that. You will drop back, and that's where, where Jonathan's differentiating. You will drop back into coverage at times like Nolan Smith did and stuff like that. So those are the guys that are going to do that. Your defensive ends... TID and Michael Williams, those aren't going to necessarily be dropping back into coverage very often at all. You're going to mostly see them with their hand in the dirt on the end of the line. Unless you're a Trevon Walker and you're just a yeah, Trevon Walker. You can just literally do anything. He's there's a reason he was number one draft pick. I mean, he he's the number one overall draft pick because he was a freak. He did things that it's not necessarily normal for somebody listed as a defensive end. Um, but the outside linebacker room is there's a lot of names out there, right? So I'm gonna name a, I'm gonna start listing off some of them, and then we'll kind of talk about them a little bit more in depth. So you got Chaz Chambliss, Marvin Jones Jr., uh, who is out with a shoulder injury. He's having surgery on it. He will he will be missing spring ball, uh, but that's not you know, a new thing at Georgia. You see a lot of players miss that type of thing and be ready for the fall season, you know, fall camp, that kind of stuff. So you got those two guys. Um, then you got some young guys in the lineup as well. You got uh, Damon Wilson, uh, Samuel Mpimba, and Gabe Harris. Uh, all three of those guys are freshmen on there. And then there is also talk that I've seen about Jalen Walker moving from inside linebacker to outside linebacker. And so that's another name of somebody that could be on the edge for Georgia this season. So I'll, I'll kick it back to you after naming everybody. Yeah, I mean, the, them talking about Jalen Walker, That's that to me is a sign of Jalen Walker is too freaking good to not be on the field, so we got to find a spot to put him at. And you're not going to put him in there over um, Samal Mondin or Jamon Dumas Johnson. You're not going to take snaps away from no. those guys. Middle linebacker a, is crowded, man. Middle yeah. linebacker is crowded. But that's a sign of Jalen Walker is too good for him not to be out there, and so – Again, you're just going to tell him you're, you're going to allow him to go be a, the player that he is, and you're going to find a way to get him on the field. You find a way to get Jalen Walker's on the field. He got a little bit of action later there later in the season, and I thought he looked really good. But you know some of the names that you just rattled off there. I thought this past season was huge for Chaz Chambliss. Unfortunately, it was due to Nolan Smith having to miss the remainder of the latter half of the yeah. season due to a shoulder injury. And but that's good for him that this year you bring in a, a Chaz Chambliss who gained a lot of experience, a lot of valuable experience. And while Chaz Chambliss may not be the most polished athlete and he may not look like the best athlete on the field while he's out there, 
that guy goes 100 miles an hour every single time, and he goes in there to mess some stuff up is what his game plan is. If you go and listen to Real Talk with Tate Ratledge and Ryan Goody on there, they told a story about Chaz Chambliss, and like they were talking about guys that practice hard and whatnot, and guys that just really get after on defense. They're like, they told a story about Chaz Chambliss meeting a guy in A-gap or B-gap is one of the two, and it just sounded like a gunshot went off in yeah. the facility. It's just because that's who Chaz Chambliss is. He's in there to mess somebody up, and he's in there to do damage. And that's a good guy to have on your defense. You don't need everybody to be these one percenter athletes. You don't yeah. need everybody to be a Michael Williams. But it's good to have a Michael Williams. And now that I'm mentioning him, I'll go ahead and throw this stat at you. So in his true freshman season, Michael Williams racked up six and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks. The last Georgia player to have that many sacks and tackles for loss in a true freshman season was Lorenzo Carter in 2014. Another really freaking good. Lorenzo athlete. Carter was pretty good. He yeah, was he was good. pretty good. If I do remember, pretty good. if I remember correctly, Lorenzo Carter ended up being a pretty good pretty good player at Georgia. Playing NFL on Sundays with Atlanta Falcons right now. So, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good football player. So, not a not a bad company to be in right there for sure. No, not at all. Another name that I realized I just missed a second ago, uh, he, he kind of plays more of like the Jack type, which is where Chaz kind of plays as well, Which, but he's still going to play on the edge. Like we said, any outside linebacker is going to have that opportunity. Darius Smith, you know, he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, this year uh, coming into or this next season and if you everybody will probably remember him as the dude that's jumping up in the air when um uh, what's the dude's name the kicker Noah from Ohio State Noah Ruggles from Ohio State when he missed that field goal that gave Georgia the win he's the one jumping right in the middle of the lineup right there and if that kick is straight Darius Darius Smith has a chance he came to out and block said it. that he came out and said that. He actually. said it. It's, I, I guess someone asked him about the field goal and asked him, like, "What do you think if that if that kick is straight? What do you think happens?" And he says, "Oh, if that if that kick goes straight, I'm 100 blocking it anyways." So maybe yeah. he did him a favor. Hey. I yeah. don't know. Either way, it sounded like it was going to end badly for poor Ruggles out there at Ohio yeah. State. But yeah, he did exactly. come out there and say that. But that's another guy that you might see get on the field this year um, or have mm-hmm. an opportunity to do something as well. So I left him out a second ago, so I felt I felt like I needed to bring his name back up. And no, it's it's going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out. Uh, like you were saying with Jalen Walker, we'll get into the middle linebacker stuff later on. But you know, there it is a very crowded room right now there. So you got Small Mondon, uh, JDJ, um, Ryan Davis, and Xavier Sori. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that he's looking to like he's got to get on the field somewhere and so they're looking to potentially push him outside he's a freak athlete he is a very very good football player and it'd be interesting to see if he's able to make that transition if they get him on the field this year or not um but i'm excited to see what happens in that room overall Chaz, i think is a guy that he's been there for a long time he's kind of been slept on like you said he's kind of falling behind people like nolan smith and when nolan smith goes out he has a chance to step up and actually do something and he made he made a, a uh, you know he he did a lot with the time that he was given when he had the chance to do it he definitely made some plays was in the right spots a lot uh, just making impact even when he wasn't necessarily the one making the tackle on there so I think it's going to be a fun fun room to watch this season as everything plays out it'll be interesting to see how everybody competes during spring ball and into the fall camp because there I think there's a lot of question marks on this position group as far as who's going to be the guys the guys that are on the field the most of the time. And uh, I'm, I'm honestly super excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I see Zach here in the comments asking about Damon Wilson. Absolutely. I mean, this this freshman class is coming in for the edge rushers and defensive ends. It's loaded down. Sam and Pimba and Damon Wilson are definitely two of them. I think with Sam and Pimba specifically, I think he's going to have to 
polish some things up a little bit, but he knows that coming into here. He knows he's very well aware that he has the work ahead cut out for him, but that's also why you come to Georgia. That's why you sign your letter of intent to come play for the university of Georgia and be coached up by Kirby smart and Trey Scott and coach Idribe. It's like those guys, you, you come here for those reasons because they're going to get you right by the time it, by the time your number gets called and you're going to look really freaking good. So I think Damon Wilson, absolutely. You could see him early on this year, just because, you know, I don't think that many people would have thought that Michael Williams would have had such an early impact. Maybe people did because he was really freaking good, but to know that yeah. Michael Williams had as much of an impact that he did his freshman year, I don't know that many people would have expected that. And it's just like it's just one of those things, man. Like on Georgia's defense, it's it's really unpredictable about who's going to come in there and really assert themselves. Like Malachi Starks, freaking stardom yep. in his true freshman year, just came in bursting on this in week one. He was a yep. household name at that point and from that point on. Javon Ballard has absolutely exploded these past couple of years. He's been playing out of his mind. Michael Williams was another guy this last year, as I mentioned before. So, like, my point being with Georgia's defense, man, when you have so many good athletes on that depth chart, so many good players, and you, you recruit and you develop as well as Georgia you just have does. dudes. Just dudes. There's a chance that everybody on that depth chart could be making an impact throughout the season because they're all really good and they're all in the best hands of Coach Will. And I truly believe that. And I want to take this segment while we're talking about, you know, defensive ends. I know that, um, like we said, it kind of gets finicky with outside linebackers and whatnot. And that may not necessarily be Trey Scott's deal dealing with those types of players, but he's definitely has his sticks his hand in the pot with guys like Trevon Walker and now uh, Michael Williams and the rest of defensive line. You just. uh, I glamour over Trey Scott, it seems like, every offseason because if you recall back a couple years ago when Georgia brought him in from North Carolina, and they were, I believe it was North Carolina, correct? I think it was North Carolina. Yeah. I think he came from North Carolina. Yeah. Anyways, when he came in after that first year, there's a lot of people questioning that hire, people saying that. I don't know that Trey Scott is cut out for this because Georgia clearly needed to answer some questions up front. The defensive line was not dominating like we had seen in years past. They were not getting that push. It was pretty concerning. And he revamped that spot like nobody's business. You know, Georgia went 13 years without having a defensive lineman taken in the NFL draft. And then he produced two of them in the first round, or three of them, excuse me, three of them in the first round last year. He's about to produce another one in Jalen Carter. And then maybe you even get a Nolan Smith up in there as well. His name's starting to creep up into that first round range as well. You're going to have a first rounder in Michael Williams. Unbelievable. He was named recruiter of the year by 247 as well. Like that guy is yeah. on a tear right now. He's one of the hottest names on the market. I can't believe that we haven't heard more people trying to gun after him and trying to get them to join their staffs about maybe upgrade him to defensive coordinator. But man, he's one of the biggest assets Georgia has on that on their coaching staff right now. And Georgia fans should be thankful to have him because gosh, he has been freaking killing it in Athens. He's absolutely been killing it in Athens. Like you're talking about, I mean, this is a position group that has really struggled. Uh, before he got here in general, like we, who was the last defensive lineman that was drafted? Uh, um, uh, gosh, um, I would have known it a month ago. I just thought about I it. it I know it my, I blanked on it right now. Um, I but find out now. point being, it's been a really long time. And then all of a sudden you had multiple guys, you had the number one overall draft pick come from your defensive line. You had Jordan Davis go in the first round. You had Devonte Wyatt go in the first round. I mean, you had three guys in the first round after being, just blanked out for a really long time. You got Jalen Carter, who's going to go in the top five of the NFL draft this year. Um, you got Bear Alexander on the on the uh, roster, who's looking really good. You got Michael Williams on the defensive end position, that's looking really really good and is going to be promising for the NFL type career and early John draft. John Jenkins, pick. yeah, John Jenkins, that's what it was. 
2013 John Jenkins was the last time you had a defensive lineman drafted, not even just in the first round, drafted in 2013. And now look at the position group at Georgia and how insane it's it is. With them. It's got it's got first rounders, you know, for years coming. I mean, absolutely. Like once again, you got Jalen Carter this next season. Then you probably got Michael Williams, maybe the year after that, that could go first round uh, after his third season at Georgia. Uh, Bear Alexander, um, uh, who still needs some. He's not necessarily a first round draft pick as of right now, but he could get there once he's once he's the guy. You know, once he mm-hmm. is that guy, we'll see Jamal what happens. Jared after him. Yeah, there's just dudes everywhere at that position. Ben, I think a lot of it comes from him. Jordan Hall. Now, Jordan Hall, you and I got to see him up close and personal. And that dude, first of all, if y'all don't, if y'all hadn't seen much about Jordan Hall, one, he's extremely talented. He was the best, you know, lineman, D lineman on that field by a mile uh, at the All American game in San Antonio. You ask any player there, any offensive lineman, they would say Jordan Hall fairly quickly. Very, very quickly. And, but something that you don't necessarily get to see from that is, He's going to be he every Georgia fans are going to love him like they loved Jordan Davis because he's got the personality like Jordan Davis. When I tell you this is just a likable guy, you hear him talk just he's just he's there to have fun, but he's a freaking freak athlete. Like he's going to go out there and ball out, but he loves football so much that he's just having fun while doing it and he's so he's just got that bubbly personality. Like I'm telling y'all, y'all are going to love this kid when he comes up in the next couple of years and he actually starts Potter getting definitely fell in, in love while we were I in did. San Antonio. I'm telling you, sure. like I, I saw him and I was like, this guy is just, I mean, he's just fun to be around. Like he's absolutely fun to be around. And I think that everyone else is going to notice that in the next two years, once he's allowed to be in front of a microphone, which, you know, that Kirby doesn't let freshmen out there like that. So it might be a couple of years yeah. before y'all see it, but remember this when he, <laughs> when he's in you front of a mic, I'd like, yeah, yeah. I know this was edge, but I just had to show my love to, um, Trey Scott and the job that he's done. And then, of course, these upcoming recruits that we get. Because uh, once said, again, this, the edge defensive end is kind of – I mean, it, it translates into a little bit. They all it. just kind of intertwine, man. We did get a little distracted, but they all just kind of intertwine. And we really wanted to do it this style specifically for the reason that when we do talk about the linebackers and uh, uh, especially Samal Mondon and Jamon Dumas-Johnson, when it is time to really break down the linebackers – we, we really just want to focus on those two and the guys that are kind of behind them. The and this was kind of our opportunity. Yeah. This was kind of our opportunity to make sure we show some love to everybody else that's in that mix. Everybody else, like, as you said, like the Jalen Walkers of the world and whatnot. We want to make sure that we list as many names as possible. We get you guys familiar with these. Maybe if you don't know them, because what we're here to do is bring some new knowledge to y'all. If you have it and give our opinions on everything. But yeah, I mean, edge rushers, yeah. the question of the episode is how good are Georgia's edge rushers going to be? I think Michael Williams was really good his freshman year, and he's going to only he's only going to get better as his career progresses. And you heard me list off the stats earlier: six and a half tackles for loss and four and a half sacks in his true freshman year. He's going to be a dog. He's going to be a dog for the next two years, and he's going to be he's going to defenses are going to have a hard time with him for a while. And the quarterbacks are going to have nightmares about thirteen coming off the edge for the next couple of years in the SEC. And then on the flip side. <laughs> You get a good variety of players. Like I said, Chaz Chambliss is going to be the guy that he's just in there looking to do damage. He's in there to freaking put his helmet down on someone, make a play, make some pads pop. That's always good to have. You got a lot of other names over there. Maybe we get interested to see how Jalen Walker looks this next year, see how much run he gets over there at those edge rusher positions. But also, of course, like so many different spots, rush the quarterback and get after the quarterback. And that's why it's so hard to just label guys as an edge rusher. Because, you know, Quay Walker was a guy that he was listed as that number two guy beside Nicobe Dean. 
But man, he got after the quarterback a lot. So it really just has to do with player yeah. personnel. They kind of change things up depending on who they have on the roster. And I'm interested to see what Schumann and Muschamp and Kirby do with this next group of guys and kind of see how, how, how creative are they going to get with them. Yeah, absolutely. Another, uh, before we move on from the segment, just looking at some of the young guys out there, I, I mentioned this once before on the show after uh, early signing day, and I was talking about this one, uh, Sam and Pimba. I watched some of his high school tape uh, before signing day, and or maybe it was right after, right around the signing day before we did that episode. And Sam and Pimba, dude, he, when I tell you, he's got like that freakish bend that, like, mm. he he reminded me of uh, Aziz Ojolari. And I said that back then. I'll say it again. He really did. And I'm not saying he is Aziz Ojolari. Don't get me wrong. That was a special, special player at Georgia there. So. But he he had the bend like him. So when he's when he's rushing, when he does kind of a speed rush and drops that shoulder to dip around the tackle, the left mm. tackle, right tackle, he's like basically like just across the ground like that and just pops back up, you know, and and just you know it, it kind of it's free. here's an analogy. It's like those guys, the, those maniacs that ride on those motorcycles at 100 miles per hour, and when they yeah, get down to those just curves, they are literally sideways. parallel yeah. with the ground, like they are like this to the ground. That's kind of what it's like for them. Like they just have been so far down and they could just bend around you and get to, it, it. It's you can almost do nothing about it. But yeah, he's, he's got that freakish bend to him and he's a freakish athlete. But like I said, and once he really gets things cleaned up, once he really does put all the pieces together. Yeah. Yep. Sam and Pimba is going to be a problem in the so SEC maybe, for maybe years. not this season for him, maybe not this season, but in the next couple of seasons, he's going to be a name that, that pops out to everybody. You will know who mm-hmm. he is and you'll, you'll Absolutely. see what we're talking about when he actually gets the chance to get on the field. And I mean, in, in football, you're one play away from your number being called because of an injury or stuff like that. Uh, you know, at Georgia's ends an edge year. site. Georgia's end and edge side of the room last year was a little thin in general going into the season. And then you had Nolan Smith go down and so mm-hmm. then, then all of a sudden, you really started seeing some young guys get some push, uh, or some guys that have been on the roster for a while. Like I said earlier, you know, Chaz Chambliss got his chance to do a little bit more. Um, so you're always one play away. And I think one thing that maybe kind of helps with uh, Marvin Jones Jr. being out is more guys get more reps in spring ball because he's out. Same kind of thing has happened multiple times at other positions, right? We've talked about this every spring. There's there's a guy out that has. I swear it feels like a shoulder. I think the last three seasons we've had a player miss miss spring ball with a shoulder surgery, um, and it's been linebackers and stuff two of the years that I can remember off the top of my head. So mm-hmm. it, it's just it's one of those positions, man. Um, Bitten Bowers didn't he have shoulder surgery? Probably. I mean, the springtime is just a popular time to get things cleaned up. Yeah, you know, guys, well, battle you, you got time to recover the before season. the season actually yeah. starts. Exactly. And like, if it's a guy, like it's usually guys like you know that you aren't necessarily worried about losing a starting job or something like that. It's like they need to be cleaned up and ready to go come fall. They don't necessarily need to be ready to go in the spring because they're 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 good. Or it's somebody that just gets on campus and they're trying to make sure they're good moving forward in their career. You see a lot of that at Georgia as well. But it what it does is it opens up the door and opportunity for some other young or other players on the depth chart that haven't gotten much run to actually show what they can do in spring ball. And maybe maybe they can get themselves on the field come the fall because of it. So that's a good thing. That's where Georgia does that, and they actually get the opportunity to uh, to kind of create that depth, right? They they have more talent and experience at that point in their depth, and that pays off later in the season when you have somebody go down and you need somebody to step up, and it works out for them. But that's all I got to say right now for that. 
Yeah, I think we went pretty into depth for that position, the edge rushers. I hope you guys at least came away with being more familiar with some of these new names that are now getting into the mix, getting reintroduced to. Now some guys have left and there's going to be new names kind of rising to the surface this next year in 2023. So at least you hopefully came away with that. And we kind of gave you guys our opinions of who you, the names that you'll probably see the most this next year. We're going to, like I said, we're going to be doing this with every single position group and we're going to be doing it next week. Right now we're probably leaning to cornerbacks, the, the cornerbacks specifically, not just the defensive backs, like the secondary in its entirety, but more just the cornerbacks themselves, because it seems like that's where Twitter wanted us to go with next. But like we said, drop it in the comments in the YouTube comments. Let us know who you want us to talk about next. We'll do another Twitter poll, just like we did this past week, kind of get a feel for what you guys are wanting this for the next week's episode. But yeah, that's going to do it for that episode. And now we get to get into And I'm excited for this segment, largely due because we have so many new subscribers on this platform. And so we did last offseason. So we last offseason, we tried to make mix in some new segments, some things that were just interesting, you know, some typical offseason content, some lighthearted stuff. Maybe that got me and Stoddard bickering with one another, kind of arguing and just formulating ridiculous opinions around things. So I came up with the idea to do this thing called King of the Hill. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's one of us, typically me, comes in here with a statement or a question like a, just a generic question. And it may be like, what's your favorite fast food restaurant? What's the best dipping sauce in the fast food restaurant? Or it may be a sports question, something like that. And then you just listen to us two idiots babble on about it and debate about it and decide who is right. There's never actually a true winner. We never decide on one, but then well, everybody's not the always a debate who, either though. That's the problem. Yeah, <laughs> That's the problem that we ran into. We typically agree on a lot of things, but yeah. then people get it in the comments and they release their opinions. So it really just is all a bunch of fun because we, the whole idea is to start this big conversation and that's all we're trying to do. So this one, we're just going to kind of start it off, as I said, lighthearted, just a good generic sports conversation, the typical sitting with your buddies around the couch, drinking a beer, and someone asks this question. And so this one I have this week, Stoddard, and you guys, as I said, join in on the comments, whatever, let us know who, you, who the answer for this question is. But who was the player for college football specifically that when you were a child, when you first watched them, that that's, that's what bought you in with college football, or that's what bought you in with Georgia football. Who's that? Well, I feel like everybody has this one athlete that they kind of draw back to. You know, like the Braves from mine and your age group, it was Chipper Jones. Watching Chipper Jones play or Andrew yep. Jones, those were the guys that got us to really buy into the Atlanta Braves. Yep. But who was that for you for Georgia growing up? So you and I are right around the same age. I'm a couple years older, but about the same timeline. Um, so there's definitely some overlap with this. I know based on other conversations, I know we're in the same general age or, or in general range of players that we're looking at. Uh, mine, mine was no Sean Marino. That that was the guy. I, I you know he started hurdling people, and that's all you heard about and stuff. And so like it just got my excitement up as a kid. Um, and and he was somebody that I watched. That was the first running back or just player in general, that I was like, this guy is just an incredible athlete, great, incredible player. Prior to him, it was a lot of like, this is just like a Georgia football team that I was watching. But like I finally kind of liked a single player at that point in time. Um, obviously, Matthew Stafford was a big one at the same same time. Uh, I'll leave some of the other guys out, but like Muhammad Masakwa, guys like that, like watching that Sugar Bowl against Hawaii was a, like an early memory for me that I watched that game and just watched them, you know, Stafford to Muhammad Masakwa, big touchdown, um, plays like that just ran through my head as a kid. And I, I've been, I would sit out my front yard with a friend and that's what we'd be trying to like emulate, right? Like we started trying to, yep. to basically do the same thing they were doing at, you know, such an early age. And it was, it was fun. You know, that, that's what got me excited about it. That was the first, those would be the first group of players that I really paid attention to. 
Yeah, you and I kind of growing up at that the time frame that we did. You know, I was born in 2000. You were born a little bit before that. So we kind of, grew, like you said, we grew up watching the same players pretty much. And you and I definitely were very fortunate to grow up watching the offense that we did, the offensive players that we did around that time, like that age, you know, because yeah. I feel like it's typically around the age of eight, between eight and 10 years old, where you start to really buy into teams and you really start to follow them and you really fall in love with them. And during that time frame, it was – Matthew Stafford, it was no Sean Marino, it was AJ Green, it was Muhammad Massaquah, it was all of those guys. And it was just a great time for us kids. They were, you were so easily impressioned by them. You know, my, for mine, I'll go ahead and tell you, and I, I thought of this segment because of the events that happened today of AJ Green announcing his retirement from the NFL, a heck of a career, over like 10,000 career receiving yards, NFL, seven time pro bowler, two time second team all pro, ridiculous career in college as we know it. But AJ Green was definitely mine. And yep. you you stole my, my little childhood story right out of my mouth of saying like, man, I was in oh, my, my backyard bad. with my neighbor, with my neighbor, childhood friend. And we were always yep. in our backyard, just tossed around the football. And you were always trying to do what AJ Green did on the football field that week, yep. doing the one handed catch over the Colorado defender or just being AJ Green. That's what you wanted to do. You wanted to look like AJ. You wanted to have the swag like AJ. That was it. And so he was definitely someone that really impressed me. And he was someone that went, when Georgia was on, like I had to watch him. I had to watch AJ Green because it was so much. It was such a joy to watch him. But since the because Stoddard and I kind of grew up watching the same players, I had to reach out to a friend because I wanted some uh, like some outer context, um, some history, if our, you will. Our resident old man of our friend group, <laughs> our old man resident of the group. <laughs> We're talking about Dan Kiley. Dan Kiley is a consistent listener with us. He's been a friend of ours for a while, and Dan Kiley is older than us. He has a wife and two kids. Neither are not I nor Stoddard have either of those, or have a, he has a wife. So I will say, yeah. but we don't have kids no or anything kids. like that. Um, kids. But Dan is an older guy, so I said, Dan, I want to know for you. He's he's a Georgia fan as well. I said, I want to know for you. Who got you to buy into Georgia? Like I, I, I've never really heard anybody like him talk about it because you know typically I'm asking the same guys my age, and he threw out a name, and I'm going to be honest, and maybe I get crucified. This is my youth showing, and he throws out Rodney Hampton. I had to Google who Rodney Hampton was. I'm sorry to everybody. I'm sorry to our older listeners. I'm sorry, but I had to Google Rodney Hampton, and Dan specific, specifically said that it was when Georgia played Georgia Tech at home one year, and I guess Rodney Hampton just absolutely went off, and Dan was there to witness it himself through his own eyes. And so that was the player for him that got him to buy into So I think it's cool to just go back through all the eras and just figure out who was that guy for you, who did it for you, who really just – put it out there on the field and was like, yep, I'm all bought in red and black. How about them? I'm there every Saturday in Athens. So I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a fun segment really to get King of the Hill kicked off in the 2023, the new year, because this is going to be a reoccurrence. You know, we did talking season last week. So if you missed out on that, we're going to be bringing them in. We'll kind of rotate them in and out, make sure we show some love to both of those segments and we'll keep it going yeah. with them. We'll, we'll keep as it As far rolling, as but. talking season goes, like we said last week, if y'all are one of the newer subscribers, once again, hit us up on social media. I'll put those, um, on the screen real quick as well, or in the comments of this video, if you want to put it there as well, we can see that, uh, it, talking season stuff. If you see something that other fan bases are talking about Georgia or saying stuff that you feel like is way off base or just, you know, off season type talk where you, every team is number one in the country in the off season, right? That's what everybody feels like. So if you see stuff like that, from, especially from like Florida fans, Tennessee fans, those are really big in that, uh, that type of conversation all I know the time. They're there. Every they're time they're out there, man. 
Yeah, they're always there. So if you see that kind of stuff, make sure you bring it back. No, um, it, it was cool for you to go back, though, by the way, to to talk to Dan and ask him about that. Because it is, it's interesting to see uh, kind of how people viewed it from, you know, different eras, different times, stuff. No, I'm surprised he didn't come back with, like, Frank Sinkowitz or something like that. Uh <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know, I know, I know. Dan, Dan, I know you're not that old, but and I know that's a really long time. Maybe Charlie Trippy, but maybe that's more his time. Yeah, maybe so. But no, I'm just kidding. He's gonna be. He's gonna text me tomorrow and just go off on me when he hears this back because he's he's a great friend. He will listen to this back. He will hear this. And when you do, Dan, you know (laughs) we love you. I'm sorry we picked on you a little bit, Um, but (laughs) I couldn't help it. It was funny. That was funny. But that's all I got on it. Yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode, guys. Again, like we do, hopefully we gave you guys a good enough in-depth dive into the edge rushers. We're really excited about going along with all the other positions. There's so many more to cover. Cornerbacks, especially running backs, wide receivers, tight ends are always fun. There's so much great conversation to be had about these depth charts and how they look, especially with this next recruiting class is rolling in now, officially wrapped up after National Signing Day has come to a close, official National Signing Day, I guess. You know, people forget about it, but really get to – finalize those names, really put some pieces together and get a good look at what Georgia's roster is going to be as the back-to-back national champions go to defend their title once again in this upcoming season. So really excited to keep bringing you guys content again. Thank you for the overwhelming amount of support. We hope it continues. We hope the family continues to grow and we welcome all of our new family members. We appreciate all of you guys, each and every single one of you guys. Like and subscribe if you haven't already. You guys have been killing it there and I just want to keep reminding you guys and do our business portion of the show as well so once again thank you to all of you guys we love each and every one of y'all we appreciate the support and stoddard you can put the bow on top of this episode and close us out as always guys we love y'all again keep it classy in the classic city we will catch you guys next week thank you for listening to this week's episode of classic city sports Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports Crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at the Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime, to the sentiments of the entire Bulldog Nation.